want to read you from your Luke 23, from verse 13 through to 49. Luke 23, 13 to 49. Hear the word of God. Pilate Simon summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you made against him. No, nor has Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore I will punish him and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out altogether, saying, Away with this man, and release for us Barabbas. He was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I found no evil in him, no guilt demanding death. Therefore I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people, and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also, who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. And they will focus mainly on the first 34, the first words. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We'll continue to read to verse 49. 
and they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. And the people stood by, looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. That's our scripture ready. Shall we pray? Lord God, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Enable your servant to proclaim your word faithfully and boldly. Give us all eyes to see the wonders of your grace. Open our hearts that we may receive and embrace your gospel message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles worked together to get Jesus on the cross. And while he was on the cross, they together ridiculed him. A wonderful king there on the cross. Jewish leaders, Roman soldiers, even one of the criminals with him on the cross, do not leave him alone. Is this the king of the Jews? But beloved, what does Christ do? During this terrible suffering 
and pain? Does he complain about his distress? Does he call God's judgment upon his enemies? The contrary is true. The first thing our Lord Jesus does on the cross is pray. Pray. No, not for himself, but for his enemies. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. When I preach to you the word under the theme, Christ's first words on the cross is a prayer for his enemies. Christ's first words on the cross is a prayer for his enemies. He prays, firstly, Father, don't punish them. Secondly, punish me alone. And thirdly, let them first hear the gospel. Would you ever have expected this? While the worst possible pain cuts through his hands and feet, our Lord Jesus prays for his enemies. While those same people express their hatred and scorn against him, he prays for them. Who would do that? What do you do when someone hurts you deeply? When someone rejects you, humiliates you, what do you then do? Do you start praying for that person? Yes, that's indeed what Christ taught us. Did he not say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you? Luke 6, verse 27 and 28. Is that what you do? Pray for those who curse you, offend you? Don't we often become angry with such a person? Don't we often want bad things to happen to such a person? That's a natural reaction, a reaction we can understand. But remember, it's a reaction of the flesh and not of the Spirit of God. Well, this is not how our Lord Jesus reacts. And he wasn't just dealing with people who offended him. It was far worse. He was dealing with torturers, murderers. Yet he prays for them. Father, forgive them. Christ could have got thousands of angels at his disposal. He could have destroyed his enemies, just like that. This is what they deserved. After all, what are they doing? They're laying violent hands on the Son of God. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. John 1 verse 11. The mediator of the covenant came to his own people, but they crucified him. Had to go in the Old Testament with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. When they rebelled against Moses, the man of God, the earth opened its mouth. God, in his wrath, allowed them to be swallowed up alive. And then they only had given Moses a big mouth. 
They'd only despise the mediator of the old covenant. And God consumed them. At Calvary's cross, the offence is far worse. The people do not only ridicule the Son of God, they torture him in the most terrible way. They nailed him to the cross and now let him die slowly on the cross from pain and exhaustion. If ever anyone deserved the fire of God's wrath, then certainly these people. Should the earth not open its mouth and swallow them up alive? Should not fire come down from heaven and destroy them? Yes, that's what they deserve. But what does the Son of God do? When he is so terribly and disgracefully being tortured, he prays, Father, forgive them. Do not let the earth open its mouth. Do not let fire come down from heaven to devour them. Do not give them what they deserve. Don't punish them. Hold back your wrath. Forgive them. Yes, beloved, this is how far Christ's love goes for his enemies. He pleads that they may stay alive and go scot-free. He prays for them that they may still receive an opportunity to repent so that they may go scot-free, not just in time, but for eternity. Brothers and sisters, for whom is the Lord Jesus actually praying? For the Roman soldiers? For the Jews? He's praying for both. He's praying for the soldiers who nailed him on the cross. He's praying for Pilate, who unjustly let him be crucified. He's praying for his own people. He's praying for the priests and the scribes. He's praying for all those men and women who called out, crucify him, crucify him. Yes, beloved, we can even go a step further. He is praying for you and for me. How can this be? You were not yet present when Christ was crucified, were you? This may be true. But who brought Christ on the cross? Yes, what brought Christ on the cross? Was it not our sins? Yes, our sins brought him on the cross. It is as the prophet Isaiah so clearly said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Isaiah 53 verse 5. When you see the cross, you see your own sin and guilt. That you are by nature lost in sin and guilt. The form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper expresses it in this way. Let each of us consider his sin and guilt against which the wrath of God is so great that he has punished it in his beloved Son 
with the bitter and shameful death on the cross. Isn't it wonderful, brothers and sisters, that our Lord Jesus died for us while we were still sinners, enemies of his. Christ prayed for you and me when we were still enemies. And enemies are not going to pray for themselves. They don't want to. They're not able to. But now Christ prays for them. And that's why it is not so that you first have to come into action to be eligible for forgiveness. Thankfully not. No, there's first the prayer of your Saviour. Your prayer to God does not come before grace. First there's the prayer of your Saviour and his sacrificial offering. When you were still an enemy, the fact that he prayed for you to the Father makes it possible for you now to pray to the Father. That's how far his love goes. He already prays for you on the cross. And not only that, he does a lot more. There he dies for you and me. And thus we come to the second point. Christ doesn't only pray, Father, don't punish them, but also, Father, punish me alone. The Lord Jesus had every reason for his prayer. After all, what is happening there at Calvary? Jews and Gentiles commit an atrocious crime. They are crucifying Father's beloved Son. This must have been heartbreaking for the Father. Who can see this and remain aloof? Which earthly father would be able to tolerate such a disgrace and injustice being done to his beloved child? How much more would this be the case with our heavenly father? Father had shown endless patience with his people. He had sent them prophets. But what had they done? They'd rejected and killed one after the other. Finally God sent his own son. And then they shout, crucify him, crucify him. Shouldn't Father's wrath turn against them? If people torture and mock your son in such a way, surely you can't remain aloof. Yes, brothers and sisters, don't underestimate what this suffering means to the Father. There are people who call the Father of the Bible a hard, bloodthirsty Father. He lets his Son suffer. He punishes him for the sins of others. Does this make our father hard and bloodthirsty? What a 
blasphemy. Precisely in the suffering of his son, the father shows his incomprehensible love. Who would be prepared to do this for sinners? Yes, for enemies. The suffering of his son touched him deeply. Can you imagine it? This is how much he was prepared to do for your salvation. During those terrible hours of crucifixion, the son supports his father. He prays, Father, forgive them. Hold back your wrath. Don't punish them. Don't put an end to their torture and scorn. Don't give those torturers and haters the punishment they deserve. Christ therefore prays, Father, don't come up for me now. Let me suffer. Let my terrible suffering continue. Unhindered. Punish me. Me alone. Let your full wrath come on me. I'm prepared to drink the cup of your wrath to the finish. To pay for the life and freedom of enemies. An incomprehensible prayer. During such terrible suffering. Who prays for the continuation of such suffering? And this for the sake of enemies. The people mock him. They continue to torture him. And then such a prayer. Then one must indeed be full of love. Christ knows that if the Father would intervene for his sake... This would be the end of his enemies. They'd all go to hell. Christ knows that his redemptive work would then be over. That he himself would be freed, but not sinners. That no sinner would be saved. That there would be no salvation for you and me. Thus Christ prays for the continuation of his suffering. Do you recognise that love of your Saviour? His love to the very end. He doesn't wish hell to his enemies, but heaven. He himself accepts hell in order to make that possible. Nothing is too much for him to save sinners not even that hellish agony and pain. Incomprehensible love. Father, do not punish them. Punish me alone. And this also means, Father, let them first hear the gospel. The third point. In his prayer, Christ speaks of ignorance. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Don't the Jews and the soldiers know what they're doing? Surely they know they're busy crucifying Jesus. 
Surely they know that he is in fact innocent. It's not without reason that they got false witnesses to accuse him. And Pilate emphatically mentioned three times that Jesus had done nothing that deserved death. That he was innocent. But they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. In a certain sense, they therefore knew what they were doing. They were crucifying the innocent man, Jesus. Yet they're not fully aware of it all. They do not realise that they're busy crucifying the very Son of God. They don't fully realise the satanic work they're involved in. Peter later on mentions to the Jews, I, knew, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. Acts 3 verse 17. Concerning the cross, there is still a lot of misunderstanding, even among the disciples. How much more among Christ's enemies? No, this is no excuse. They could have known. The word of God had been entrusted to them. The prophets had already spoken about the Christ in clear language. And Christ's behaviour and preaching testified of him as the promised Messiah. His words and deeds were unique, unheard of, perfect, full of authority, divine, fulfilment of prophecy. But the Jews didn't want to accept it. Therefore, behind their ignorance was refusal to listen, unbelief. Yet the ignorance is adequate, re- adequate reason to postpone judgment at this point of time. Father, do not punish them now. Allow first the cross to be fully declared. Allow first your spirit to go out. Allow the full gospel to be preached. Let the people first hear what is truly happening here. Let the spirit first remove all misunderstanding. Thus Christ prays for the preaching of the gospel. And his prayer is heard. History witnesses to that. During Pentecost, already 3,000 people are saved. They believe and worship Christ. Thus the gospel also reached you, brothers and sisters, in answer to Christ's prayer. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The world still receives a time of grace, time to come to faith and repentance. More and more people hear the gospel of the cross. Brother, sister, What do you do, you do, with that gospel? Surely you can't remain unmoved by it. Indifferent. In the face of such an incredible self-sacrificial love. While he suffered the most severe pain, our Lord Jesus prayed for his enemies. 
That's the first thing he did on the cross. He prayed for his enemies, for you and me. Father, don't punish them, punish me. That's how far his love extends to sinners. Would I not worship him and show him my thanks and praise? Should I not be in flame and fire for him? There is now no excuse anymore. You can know it. The word of the cross has been proclaimed to you. If I now still refuse, then I'm busy crucifying Christ again. And this is far more serious than the first crucifixion at Calgary. Let us then together worship him as our only and complete saviour. Hear him on the cross pray to Father. Hear him speak to you in the gospel. Let his word resonate in your hearts and in your lives. And if you don't, then sometimes through weakness fall into sin. Do not despair. Christ's sacrifice is complete. He let Father's wrath against sin come upon himself. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53 verse 5. That is what we have to celebrate at the Lord's Supper. Is there still any reason to doubt his grace? To doubt whether his sacrifice is for your benefit? Your sins, however large or many, he took upon himself. Hear him pray, Father, don't punish them, punish me in their place. Incomprehensible but true for all who believe. In this way he has reconciled your sins from the past, the present and the future. Do you believe this? Then you, your sins are forgiven. Then you can celebrate this amazing grace with joy and thankfulness at the table of our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your great love for us sinners. That you gave your one and only Son to suffer and to die for us. To free us from the guilt and punishment we deserved. And to restore us to yourself. Thank you for the incredible love of your Son. That he willingly accepted the cross to save us that he even prayed for our rescue while suffering hellish agony and pain. 
Help us, Father, to recognize that self-sacrificial love with awe and wonder and to accept it in faith. May we all find shelter in Christ's sacrifice and be assured of our salvation. Keep us close to you and bless us as we hope to celebrate that salvation in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.